Hello and welcome to the fourth of five podcasts in my series on the history of British psychiatry. This section of podcast deals with the origins of the psychiatric profession and today's podcast is called Divisions and Diagnoses. I'm Rab Houston and I work for the University of St Andrews in Scotland. Last week's podcast was called The Dawn of Psychiatry and the four components that helped to create psychiatry in the late 19th and early 20th century I listed in that podcast. What I was trying to suggest is that by Victorian and Edwardian times a sort of proto-psychiatric profession may have been emerging. Um, I can't put it any more strongly than that. Having said that, practitioners of psychiatric medicine have, I think, always disagreed with each other about diagnoses, causes and treatments, perhaps more so than in any other branch of medicine. The spat between Sigmund Freud and his star pupil Carl Jung is only the most famous conflict. If you're interested, Jung offered a more upbeat and less sexually charged interpretation of the psyche than did his famous mentor. In earlier times, mad doctors crossed swords. During the 1750s, John Monroe and William Batty, both of whom you might recall from earlier podcasts, argued over the place of medical training and different types of therapy in the two London hospitals where they worked, respectively Bethlehem Hospital and St Luke's Hospital. Only the third public asylum in England, St Luke's was founded by voluntary subscription in 1751, specifically to treat lunatics, of course, but also to train medical students. Monroe refused to offer the same facilities at Bethlehem. You might remember that uh, Batty wrote a famous uh, treatise of madness and that's uh, in that treatise he attacked Monroe. Monroe was part of the family that uh, established almost a dynasty as physicians of Bethlehem Hospital between the 1720s and the 1850s. A succession of four of them occupied the position of physician. Early writings like Monroe's and Batty's were frankly polemical and often embarrassingly personal by modern standards. Interpersonal tensions like these illustrate how competition between practitioners for patients and prestige often far outweighed any sense of group identity, at least until the late 19th century. Georgian doctors openly competed for business. Newspaper advertisements made extravagant claims for practitioners, and many of the lectures they gave and the pamphlets and books they published were really advertising personal skills rather than communicating abstract knowledge for all to share. Later books, pamphlets and articles had their particular viewpoints but they were more 
dispassionate and professional, closer to what we would regard as an acceptable standard of interaction amongst professionals. The writings of the prominent Scottish alienist Dr W. A. F. Brown, William Brown, are one example. He was deeply committed to educating mental health specialists, most notably in his book What Asylums Were, Are and Ought to Be. That book came out of a collection of lectures and was published in 1837. Yet the sort of milestones which mark organic medicine, such as the discovery of the circulation of blood or the existence of germs, and which gave organic medicine a clear, continuous and cumulative evolution, are largely absent from mental medicine, whose development has been far from linear. Instead, the landmarks of psychiatry during the 19th century were often as much statutes and legal judgments as they were medical developments. Law structured medical certification and it limited the independence of all doctors, including alienists, just as it does now. There were, however, some purely medical landmarks from the end of the 19th century. Most obviously, systems of classifying mental ailments. All psychiatric pioneers, like William Brown or William Cullen before him, had their own systems of classification. Now these particular ones have long fallen out of fashion, but nosologies continue to evolve and they have formed an integral part of psychiatry especially since the mid-20th century. And in the second part of this podcast, I want to look at systems of classification because I think they are extremely important in uh, crystallising psychiatry, making it what it is. The two most widely used classifications of mental disorders in the modern world are, I think, hugely important in the emergence of modern psychiatry. The first I'm going to deal with is under the auspices of the World Health Organization, and it's called the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, and it's usually just called ICD for International Classification of Diseases. ICD is based on a system that originated in the 1860s. The World Health Organization took over responsibility for its development in 1948. The WHO periodically revises and updates the classification and it introduced a special section on mental disorders in the 8th edition, which was published in 1965. The current version that is used by clinicians around the globe is called ICD-10, in other words the 10th edition of the International Classification of Diseases. It was implemented in member states in 1994 and is widely used in Britain. Chapter 5 is entitled Mental and Behavioural Disorders. 
clinical descriptions and diagnostic guidelines. The chapter had 11 blocks or sections with subtitles such as mental and behavioural disorders due to psychoactive substance abuse, mood affective disorders and mental retardation. Available as a separate book, an image of the cover is the illustration for this week's podcast. After the Second World War, North American psychiatrists developed their own system of classification. They are now on the fifth edition of the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which was first published in 1952. Like ICD, it originated from the need to make diagnoses more reliable. In other words, consistent between practitioners faced with similar symptoms. Both ICD and DSM, as the American equivalent is commonly known, are hugely important because they effectively define the practice of modern psychiatry across the globe. Some regard their creation and implementation as the decisive moment in creating a coherent discipline of psychiatry. The number of recognised conditions and syndromes in those two systems of classification has mushroomed over the years. The first edition of DSM ran to just 130 pages. The latest one, DSM-5, implemented in 2013, contains no less than 947 pages. The original 106 categories of dysfunctions in thought and mood has trebled to 330. Both ICD and DSM are both criterion-based systems, an approach recent in origin which focuses on understanding underlying conditions. Both offer clinical descriptions and diagnostic guidelines. In other words, assessment instruments which help ensure consistency. They allow psychiatrists and other medical practitioners to speak the same language of diagnosis. They do not, however, express any consensus on either causes or treatments. In history, practitioners relied less on scientific operations and more on a qualitative approach. They learnt very much by doing. They developed familiarity with patterns of abnormal behaviour, relying on experience, intuition and a measure of empathy. Their main concern, however, was with valid treatments and favourable outcomes for each individual rather than reliable diagnoses. Much learned medicine in the past was also preventive 
practitioner's holistic, evidence-based approach explains why most systems of classification of mental ailments were so utterly rudimentary prior to the end of the 19th century. The label medical practitioners put on a condition was, they thought, much less important than the help they gave to the individual sufferer. Now, ICD and DSM are absolutely essential to modern psychiatrists, but they are also valuable guides for any mental health specialist. Indeed, I've talked a lot about doctors so far, but you perhaps remember from the first podcast in this section that modern mental medicine involves multiple inputs. Historical research into other staff working with mental disorders and with sufferers is much more poorly developed, I'm afraid to say, compared with analysis of doctors. And that's especially true prior to the 20th century. Nevertheless, I hope to give you next time an idea of how one important branch of care developed, and that's psychiatric nursing. I hope you'll join me for that one.